You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 223. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. Once again, we have a great show for you this week. Aaron is back with our Your Stock, Our Take segment, and he answers a question on Kraken Robotics, Inc., symbol PNG on the TSX Venture, a marine technology company providing complex subsea sensors, batteries, and robotic systems. Kraken has strong growth guidance for 2023, and it may be transitioning to profitability, but the share price languishes near year lows. Aaron takes a look and lets you know why it is sitting there ahead of us sitting down with management in person in a couple weeks' time at a conference coming up in Vancouver. I will take a look at Lithium Royalty Corp, symbol L-I-R-C, on the TSX, an intriguing lithium-focused royalty company with a portfolio of more than 30 high-grade revenue royalties on mineral properties around the world. The company is a recent IPO, and a listener asks if it may be a good way to play the electrification boom. Brett answers a viewer question on Carvana Corp, symbol CVNA on the New York Stock Exchange, which operates an online platform for buying and selling used vehicles in the U.S., allowing the entire buying and selling process to be completed online. Additionally, the company offers over 300 physical locations in the U.S. with its unique car vending machines. That would be unique to see. Brett answers whether or not this now debt-heavy pandemic star, which saw its share price plummet from 2021 peaks, but pick up slightly this year, is it a dead cat bounce or something more sustainable? Finally, Brennan takes another look at Relic Health Technologies, Inc., symbol RHT, on the TSX Venture, a telemedicine provider that develops virtual care solutions for the healthcare market. Does it finally offer value? Brennan will let you know. All right, let's get to the show. We're going to welcome back my co-host, Mr. Aaron Dunn, back from a Disneyland adventure. And as always, the killer bees, Brett and Brennan. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Tell us about your trip. We've all been here together. It is. Getting the band back together. You had your vacation. I know, it's true. How was yours? It was good. We all want to know. Everything everything went well. Um, We uh, we just missed the hurricane down there, apparently. But um, it's always a good thing. It it wasn't. It didn't hit uh, the Anaheim area too too hard. So, no, it's uh, it's quite interesting. In fact, I I didn't even think until after I finished putting together my slides for the year talk year stock our our take today that you know I could have just done Disney. They put out their Q two results a couple weeks ago. Um, next week right well there yeah, you go teaser i'm gonna do that because it's you it's, got anecdotal and you can look at the as, numbers right somebody who is separated from a significant uh, portion of cash by disney i have firsthand knowledge of their you know their skills in that area so it's uh, i'd be nice to dig into the numbers and i know that we've looked at it before as a potential recommendation so you know who knows we'll uh 
we'll go through the numbers, I think, next week. Interesting. You said it was busy, which is a good sign. Yes. I mean, they're yeah. ha- I mean, you know, obviously they have parks all over the world. I don't know what the other parks are doing or what the I haven't really dug into the Q2 results yet. Um, but in terms of just the traffic in the Anaheim Park, I don't see how you can get more people in the park without starting to ruin the experience. So, yeah, yeah it's, you know, you show up first thing in the morning, you, you have about an hour where you can go where you want without much of a line. But um, after that, the lines get pretty heavy and uh, you're in some areas, you know, shoulder to shoulder with people walking, uh, walking around. Yeah. I was there in the fall and I would yeah. note the, the sardine like conditions by yes. midday for yeah. sure. Right. And it's, it's, it's the, I'd also noted the add-ons, right? Like the, you know, you get your traditional pass and then there's add-on for this add-on to, you know, get on a ride faster, skip a line, you, you know, they've it's really, uh, expensive water, food, everything. <laughs> yes, right? yes, it's you true. get in there. It's the, the, the price, of the ticket is really a small amount. And right? just people watching for an hour and a half for the good rides. You, yeah. You want to pay the, the those extra how many rides. Mickey airs you see too. Like just everybody is just part of that cult. When you get down there, everybody's wearing the uniform too. Anyways, it, it's a good time with the kids for sure. Yeah. No, we all, we all had a good time. Anything else new from you too, Brennan, any golf stories you want to share? Everybody no, wants I'm, to know how your golf game is going. I'm getting my clubs regripped this weekend, so I, Ooh, I wasn't able to get on the course. For that. But uh, I went to a car show, and you can kind of see I'm a little burnt. Uh, so I didn't really realize it's nice more. Rosie. Run. Um, I don't know. Usually about a grand, I, I would say. Okay. Usually about a grand Canadian. Um, yeah. Um, I was just getting them regripped. So re-gripped. You know, I think what it was that, a couple, couple hundred bucks. You know, nothing too crazy. Right? And that's just yeah. from overuse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just eventually they get slippery and, you know, they mm-hmm. kind of fall out of my hands. And next thing you know, I'm That's shooting 110. And, yeah. So a, a grand, it's like golf clubs or a day in Disneyland. That's about that's about the same thing. It's yeah. disgusting. Uh, either way. No. Well, let's get cool. Let's get to the let's get to the stocks. Let's get to Kraken. You're going to okay, release, release the Kraken on us, right? The Kraken. Yeah. <laughs> We will release the Kraken. Excellent. Okay. Um, so this is uh, this is interesting. This is actually topical because we are going to be talking with management um, over the yeah. Next we'll be at an event here. in Vancouver. Yeah. Um, so when I saw this Planet. question come in from Joseph, I thought it would be a good opportunity to do a little initial research and coverage on the company. So Joseph asked. He wanted. He said, you know, Q1 2023, the company made seven million in sales. Uh, they're projecting 70 million this year. However, there's potentially some drama with the ex-CEO and founder being kicked out of the company. Joseph thinks that he's mad. Um, he's been dumping his shares, which I guess were initially 20 million shares in the company. Um, and Joseph wants to know, is this an interesting company? Is this something that we should put on our monitor list or even potentially recommend? So what does Kraken do uh, right from the company's website? They're a marine technology company. So they provide subsea sensors, batteries, and robotic systems. Um, and they service industries such as military and defense, offshore energy, and ocean, ocean exploration. The symbol is PNG. It trades on the Venture Exchange at a price of $0.35 cents per share, uh, $73 million market cap. So it is a micro cap company. And a pretty significant number of shares out, 206 million. So for a company that size, that's a lot of shares out. They've obviously been issuing shares to, um, to keep the lights on and invest in the business. 
Now, from what I could see, there are four main products that the company offers. Um, in addition, they also offer services and other accessory products. Um, but these four main products include a synthetic aperture sonar, which is a new technology that can create a detailed underwater images and maps, um, which are better quality um, at greater distance and coverage than previous methods. There is their catfish underwater device, which uses synthetic aperture sonar to cover large areas quickly. Um, offering detailed images and 3D maps of the seafloor. Um, there's the Autonomous Launch Recovery System, uh, an intelligent tentacle winch, which are designed for modular integration onto manned and unmanned surface, uh, surface vessels. And then there's the Kraken Sea Power batteries, which are lightweight and strong for deep sea use, allowing underwater vehicles to run more than twice as long on the same battery size. Uh, and in, in addition, as I said, they also have a significant percentage of the revenue in services. So why don't we start off by taking a look at the Q1 financial results, which were released at the end of May. Uh, 7.6 million in revenue, up 38%. Uh, they have product revenue of 5.3 million, up 43%. And then also services revenue of 2.3 million, up 26%. Gross margins were almost 60%. So that's a significant increase that we saw here in gross margin. Uh, from 33% last year. Uh, adjusted EBITDA of just under a million nine hundred thousand compared to a loss of 400,000 last year. And then a on the bottom line, a net loss of 1.3 million, about half the net loss that they reported in Q1 of 2022. So um, all around, I mean, pretty good results relative to the previous quarter, the same quarter last year. I say pretty good just because the company is still um, posting a net loss and basically break even adjusted EBITDA, but very nice increase in gross margins, very strong revenue growth. They did mention in their commentary that Q1 is seasonally the slowest quarter for services. Uh, and then last year, looking at the financial results, revenue of 41 million up from 25.6 million. So that's 60% growth. Uh, gross margins were actually down in 2022, 42% compared to 44% in 2021. Uh, adjusted EBITDA of 5.3 million compared to 2.1 million last year or in the previous year in 2021, and then a net loss of 4.2 million, which was actually greater than the 2021 net loss of $3.5 million. So once again, nice performance on the uh, revenue and the adjusted EBITDA lines, um, but a meaningful net loss. The company has uh, reported quite a few contract awards. Uh, that, so these these include in Q1, they, they signed a $2.8 million uh, contract for SAS purchase orders for the defense industry. Um, they also subsequent to the end of the quarter signed a $16 million order for subsea batteries, a $3 million order for subsea power and a $4 million NATO Navy order. They provided Guidance as well for 2023, they're expecting revenue of between 66 and 78 million and adjusted EBITDA between 12 and 17 million. So at the midpoint, you'd be looking at revenue growth of 76% over 2022 and adjusted EBITDA growth of 275%. Uh, so one of the things that Joseph mentioned is that there was some potential drama with the former CEO and founder of the company. And I don't have a lot of in-depth knowledge here, but I, I did take a couple of excerpts out of the press release, which announced the management transition. So this was at the start of the year, December 22nd, 2022, the company announced that uh, Carl Kenny, the founder and president and chief executive officer 
um, will be appointed to the position of executive chairman and the, the then chief financial officer, uh, Greg Reed, will be take over as the president and CEO. So when you look at this, this news release, um, there are a couple statements from the former CEO, Mr. Kenny, just basically saying that he, you know, the standard, standard statements, like he was pleased to have served uh, with the company for so long. Um, and he's happy to serve as the executive chairman. He thinks that it's a good thing for the company. And he did say that uh, it was a difficult decision to step down, um, but that he's just turned 63 years old and that he thinks that this is right for him personally so he can spend more time with his family and focus on his family. Um, but he says, rest assured, he's going to be active not far away in his new role as executive chairman. So that sounds you know, fairly reasonable. I will say that for most CEOs, 63 is a, a pretty young retirement age. Um, but there's nothing in here, you know, if, if this were a situation where he were kicked out of the company, uh, he probably wouldn't be taking the position of executive chairman. And he, he, you know, might not make a statement that he's happy with the transition. Um, but Joseph is correct. He has been selling a lot of shares. Uh, he sold um, just from Canadian Insider here, uh, transactions from May 13 on. Uh, there's about, you know, about five, 5.6 million in shares uh, that were sold. So that's a significant percentage of his ownership in the company. If he originally owned 20 million shares, um, you know, fairly significant percentage of the overall shares outstanding. I mean, a, a couple percent, not, you know, not extremely um, substantial percentage, but still, I mean, that's not going to be a good thing for the share price and it's not a good signal to the market. So, you know, I, I would agree that this is somewhat concerning. You might wonder, well, why, if he is really so, um, still so connected to the company and a part of the company, why would he be selling his shares so actively like this? You know, one of the things that I will note is that sometimes you don't want to look too deeply into this kind of thing. Um, you know, you also can look at just how the company is doing financially, as opposed to, you know, that the former CEO is selling a lot of shares. The reason is that you just really don't know what's going on in somebody's life. There's a lot of reason why they may sell shares. Um, it may be that he is angry that he was displaced as CEO. I don't know the reasons why. It could have been that he, you know, if he's being honest, that he wants to transition out of the business for his own personal life. Uh, it could be that he failed to make targets. I don't know the answer to that question. Um, but it could also be that he just needs the money, um, you know, and sometimes... Um, there are health issues involved. Sometimes there are other things like wanting to transition um, capital over to your your family members as well. So there's a lot of reasons why this could be happening. I don't really want to speculate as to why. It's certainly not good to the share price. I don't think that it is the only thing that is impacting the share price. So if you look at a five-year chart of the company, uh, it's basically flat with a lot of volatility along the way, right? So yes, yeah, since the start of the year, and since the former CEO has been selling shares, the, the stock price has declined from about 68 cents to about 36 cents today. Um, so down, uh, you know, about half. Um, but this is not an unusual level of volatility for this company, right? I mean, it's it's had some major wild swings and never really a period of sustained growth. So um, while the ex-CEO selling the shares is certainly, you know, a net negative for the company, I, I don't think that that's the only thing that's really influencing the price right now. Um, so what, what is our take on Kraken right now? Well, I really think that it, it is actually a very interesting 
micro cap business. Uh, I like the industry that it is operating in, defense technology, defense robotics. There's a lot of focus on the defense industry right now, particularly with what's going on geopolitically in Europe, um, you know, relative to in Asia as well, relative to China. There's a lot. The budgets, the military budgets of Western nations are increasing of other nations as well. Uh, so I do like to have exposure to that space. They appear to have innovative um, proprietary technology in that space, although I'm not an expert on military robotics, so I can't really say much there. Uh, the revenue growth is very impressive. Now, long-term, they're looking at, at um, long-term revenue growth target of 40% per year and adjusted EBITDA margins of 25%. So if they can hit that, you know, then this is a business where the stock price can eventually take off. Of course, they still have to hit it. And they may be transitioning towards profitability. So if they're able to hit those um, those targets that they have for this year with the guidance, we may actually see some net profit on the bottom line in upcoming quarters. The company is releasing its Q2 results around late August. So very soon here, we'll get a chance to take a look at those as well. We will be talking to the company directly, sitting down with them face to face. Um, but I will also say this is still a very high risk business. Um, they are losing money. There's negative profitability on the bottom line. They've never been profitable. They have an underperforming share price. It's always been, you know, challenge, a lot of volatilities, some big ups, but also big downs. And it's really not gone anywhere in the last five years. So, you know, this isn't something that we're going to rush out and invest in right now. What we really want to see from a, at a minimum from this company is that they are transitioning to profitability and that that profitability will be uh, consistent, sustainable and meaningful um, and also translating into operating cash flow. So a lot of good things that I'm seeing here, but still early stage. We'll learn more when we see the Q2 results that come out at the end of the month um, and as well when we speak to the management team about a, a week later. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Kraken is an interesting story. I mean, if you look back to 2016, uh, revenues 22.3 million and then 2017 3.5 2018 6.7 2019 15.1 uh, took a little step back with COVID in 2020 to 12.3 but then a step up to 12.6 in 2021 uh, 2022 was 40.9 and trailing 12 months you got 43 so continuing rise what has been missing here over that whole period, operating income was negative. So it's just kind of moved to operating income positive over the last 12 months. Um, the estimates out there right now, there's two analysts following them, quasi-analysts, we might call them. Um, and there's an estimate for three cents in EPS this year. I don't know if that's an adjusted figure or not. We'd have to look closer. And then 2024, seven cents. Now, if they can hit those and those are actual earnings figures, uh, then the company looks to be attractively priced right now. But it's a big if considering, you know, we went through about eight years of financial results then and it was operating uh, negative in terms of operating income. It was negative for that period. So what's missing from the equation is uh, being, you know, showing that you can be profitable. And that's the point of this business existing is to, you know, be profitable for the shareholders long term. So we'll see if it can hit that then it looks quite interesting, particularly with the share price having come off significantly. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll continue to monitor it, love to talk to management. And we may talk to them even ahead of sitting down with them in person. We, we've done that often. And then you want to sit down and you know look into their eyes and uh, squeeze their hands and say, hey, and go further.
So it's, it's good that we'll be sitting down with them in person. Now, any, you guys got anything further? You want me to move on to lithium? I did notice that the, they had a product called a catfish. I thought you'd want to comment on that, Brennan, a little bit. So No, no, no. No, no, no. Same All right, let's... Go put the catfish, or... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's some, either he's catfishing or someone's catfished him. Who knows, right? We don't know. Yeah, I have had a girl... Oh, I will say this just because it's funny. I have had a girl call <laughs> me out on my height before because I said that I was 5'9". And then I ended up meeting up with her. And I'm like 5'8 and 3 quarters, you know, so I'm close. I, I, I like <laughs> to round up. And she, I, I meet up with her and uh, she, call, she calls me out. She's like, there's no way you're 5'9". <laughs> and that's why you put 5'8 now, right? Correct. That's, it is funny. It's a funny I don't story, think that's buddy. the catfish that, no. that, that we were talking about. But yeah. I know. No, I know. for sure. That's it's good. a funny story, though. My buddy's buddy. All right. <laughs> I knew you'd have something. That's why I came to you. All right, let's move to Lithium Royalty Corp. Symbol L-I-R-C on the TSX. Trades at about $12.49, $690 million market cap. What does the company do? They're a lithium-focused royalty company with a portfolio of more than 30 high-grade revenue royalties on mineral properties around the world that supply and are expected to supply raw materials to support the electrification of transportation, decarbonization, of the global economy. Its portfolio is focused on high grade and low cost mineral projects that are primarily located in Australia, Canada, South America, and the United States. The company has deployed 53 million in capital so far this year. 51 million of that have been deployed since they IPO'd uh, in Toronto in March of 2023, bringing a total number of potential royalties for the company to 32 right now. Let's look at the second quarter highlights for this business. Q2 uh, 2023 royalty revenue grew 98% to 838,000 from 424,000 in the prior year period. This was below market expectations based on the expectations this company set at its IPO. 20 uh, or second quarter gross profit grew by 280% to 691,000. Uh, this is good growth, but again, small numbers, and the company still lost two cents in the quarter. And adjusted EBITDA was a loss of six hundred and fifty thousand, approximately. Subsequent to the end of the quarter, the company signed a credit agreement with National Bank for twenty-five million. Um, the company had around forty point five million in cash at the end of its quarter, but a significant amount of that was committed. Uh, valuations are difficult to really value this business based on cash flow, as it was negative cash flow, and it has been uh, since its inception. The company is expected, these are some estimates that I saw out there, to generate $8.7 million in 2023. Again, the company fell significantly short on revenue estimates for the first quarter, so you have to take those with a grain of salt. And expected to have a massive step up based on estimates uh, into fiscal year 2024 to over $30 million in revenue. EBITDA is expected to remain negative this year and then jump up with revenues to $20.3 million on the positive side in fiscal year 2024. Uh, if this optimistic jump can be achieved, the company would be trading at an EVD EBITDA of about 22.4 based on those expectations for 2024. Now, I'm going to, in conclusion here, take a quote from this company's uh, latest presentation. They say they have long-life diversified portfolio with 100% of royalties expected to be producing royalties by 2020 or 20, 
30. Now, perhaps 100% of their current royalty portfolio will produce, but from watching a multitude of commodity-based companies try to bring their assets from production, uh, I can tell you that the uncertain and volatile world of mining in any commodity, there are many speed bumps along the way, and expecting 100% success from asset discovery to successful production appears very optimistic to me. Let's take a quick look at the lithium prices. Um, Brett's going to put up right now the past five years of lithium prices as the underlying commodity and its pricing will have a massive impact on whether on this business long term. Now, there's a huge surge you can see there in 2021 and a massive drop in 2022. Uh, this is one of the reasons why it's typically very hard to value these assets. One can use net asset value model, a model like that but the price of the underlying asset is very volatile and can render models somewhat useless. Using a cash flow based model, the same thing is true as cash flows are very volatile and dependent upon the underlying price of the lithium. Now it is true that the royalty model this company employs can help allay some of the commodity risk, but if the asset is being mined and it becomes economical, uh, due to a low price of the commodity, then a royalty based off zero production is quite fruitless. This company does have a diversified portfolio of more than 30 potential royalties on some which appear to be high grade, low cost, long life lithium mineral properties. So based on that, lithium royalty may offer investors a pure prey exposure to the upstream supply chain for a raw material critical in the global trend of electrification and decarbonization. At present, it is richly valued, however, based on current cash flows, and it missed on its revenue estimates in the first quarter. The company will have to execute and should take advantage of any surge in its share price due to the excitement of lithium, the underlying commodity here, to shore up its cash balances, as it will need to continue to invest to match the valuation expectations at present. We would just continue to monitor this business, intriguing as it is at current times. I'm done. I mean, I, I, I would love to invest in a lithium royalty company when you're actually producing some cash flow to the bottom line. But until that happens, yeah. you know, and then putting a projection out to 2030, I mean, 20, 2030, you're talking, you know, six and a half years mm -hmm. from now, right? I mean, anything can happen between now and then. So it's certainly going to have to grow into its valuations. Still speculation and largely really, I would say when you, you know, an exploration based business. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it's going to have to grow into those valuations. It's a, you know, an intriguing segment to be in and a way to play electrification. But you know, th this company, like I harped on that point that they said that they basically are estimating that all 30 plus per, uh, of their assets will, be revenue producing royalties. Um, you know, perhaps that happens, like I said, but it's, it's very difficult to take any asset from asset to production without any hiccups along the way. If the lithium price cuts in half from here, maybe it triples or quadruples from here, but if it's cut in half, some of the deposits that it is banking on, you know, may not have the funding to move forward on their projects. They have royalties on, and, and then you're not going to have 30 of, out of 30 going to production. So, you know, it's just, these are the risks in the segment. Um, it's great to be optimistic on those, but um, 
you know, I'd rather be realistic. So, you know, it, nobody knows where the price of lithium could go. There could be extreme demand for lithium, but there could be a ton of assets being brought online and the price of lithium could go down. I mean, and the, the, you can have oversupply. I mean, this is an, another sector we'll talk about, but cannabis. We thought, you know, the sector thought extreme demand, but so much supply was bought online that, you know, this sector has been decimated. So, you know, it, it doesn't guarantee success. The legal sources was not what it was yeah. expected to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, of course, it's a different sector. There's not a direct parallel there, but there is a parallel in that a great deal of supply is being brought online. So, you know, you don't know how that's going to affect the price going forward, even if there is very, very significant demand. All right. Should we move on to, I think, Brett, right? You're going to take, yeah. what are you taking here today? I we are know. doing Carvana today. Carvana. I want to know Carvana. about these, uh, uh, these vending machines that stick out, you know, that spit out cars. I want to see yeah, one is, of those in action. Is, I'll, right? I'll put it up on the screen. I don't have one prepared yeah, for I'd you. I'd love to so be able I'll to put in you after. a... A4, and I just see a car dropping yeah, down. No, right? they actually so. give you a little coin, and you put it in, and then it will, awesome. the car will come down the little elevator, and yeah. there you go. You you get a car out of your uh, little coin. Do you have to you stick your in. hand in the bottom? Aram, you're muted, I think. He is muted, but he's acting out of any machine. <laughs> I, I'm putting that in. I have okay, no idea perfect. what he's saying. Perfect. Great Aaron, explanation. I, you're muted. <laughs> oh, whatever. It doesn't right, yeah. matter. See you Let later. Let's get into the actual uh, segment here. So Carvana, symbol CVNA on the New York Exchange, operates an online platform for buying and selling used vehicles in the U.S., allowing the entire buying and selling process to be completed online. Additionally, the company offers 300 physical locations in the U.S., with some of them featuring Ryan's new favorite thing he's heard of, the unique car vending machines. However, the stock's just been volatile, to say the least. It is trading at roughly $40 today. It's been actually down a dollar, then up a dollar. So I'm just going to call it $40, up about 700% since the start of the year. But that's down 89% since this pandemic high in 2021. So it's just extremely volatile. But looking at its Q2 2023 earnings, the company had revenue of $2.97 billion, down from $3.9 billion. Total gross profit per unit, however, so the unit per vehicle sold, was up to $6,520. That's up 94% over the prior year. However, it was inflated by roughly about $900 from non-recurring items, but that's still a significant improvement for the company, and it is a new record high, even when accounting for those one-offs. So great numbers on that. On the other hand, though, the number of units sold was down by 35% to 76.5,000 compared to 1176 thousand so big drop there eps was still a loss of 55 cents but it was a large improvement from 235 a loss of 235 with roughly about five percent share dilution over the year however adjusting of the non-recurring items that i mentioned before the share loss was about a dollar 21 per share the financials do follow the company's plan of a focus on profitability which is why we're seeing this revenue drop but a per unit gross profit growth is rising and just a really quick comment on the revenue growth it just shows how the previous revenue growth in 2020 2021 was really just unsustainable and carvana was really just inflating its revenue growth by offering vehicles at a margin which just could never be profitable you're taking such a slim margin you're never going to be profitable but overall it's a generally good change of pace for the company however 
any good news stops there, even if that was considered the good news. Uh, the balance sheet is just not looking good. At the end of Q2, the company had a net debt and lease position of $7.8 billion, with $6.5 billion being long-term debt. For size, the company's trading at about roughly $7.5 billion market cap. And of that debt, roughly $1.2 billion is a variable rate revolver and an effective rate of 8% for this last quarter. However, after the quarter's end, the company restructured some of its senior unsecured notes maturing from 2025 to 2030, which encompasses all their debt effectively. The previously unsecured notes had a coupon rate from about 4.8% to 10 and a quarter, resulting in a weighted average coupon about 8.2% for long-term debt. In this deal for the restructuring, though, the company is able to conduct payment in kind. So instead of cash, they're actually able to pay their interest payments with additional pet debt issuance for the next two years. So if they don't pay the cash interest, they can issue more debt to the person who already holds the debt. So selecting payment in kind, however, it actually raises the effective interest rate from 12 to 14%, up from the 9 to 11%, depending on the exact maturity. Effectively, now the company has the ability to kick down the can of their interest payments for two years. Additionally, as part of the deal, the company issued 4.9 million shares for $225 million through the and at the market offering, and an additional $2.7 million for $126 million in a private placement. This roughly dilutes the company by about 7.1% over last month. Luckily for the shareholders, though, this significantly inflated share price compared to a few months ago allowed for significantly less dilution than what would have otherwise taken place. You would have been looking at five or six times compared to the start of the year because of the share price increased. And that would have been these restructuring most likely would have happened regardless of the share price. So our take, although the company is moving in the right direction closer to profitability, it is still so, so far away from any meaningful profitability. And that's just really the most important point as well as it's just difficult to see a path forward to profitability in the sustained long run as the company doesn't really benefit from economies of scale. In fact, it's really just diseconomies of scale, which is why we're seeing their volumes drop, but their profitability rise. That's the exact opposite of what you really want to see. And the cost-cutting measures which they're taking can only ever be done so far. You can only cut costs effectively to zero. But even doing that, they're barely profitable at this time. So where is that profit going to come from? The business model in itself just really doesn't provide much, if any, hope. And then the debt issues on top of that, effectively putting a two-year timeline to not only become profitable and improve, but become profitable enough to cover now this heightened interest payment, which is effectively, we're looking at really double nearly of what the previous interest payments were in the next, after the next few years. And you're now seeing as a shareholder, remember you're, you're buying shares in the company. You're probably going to be seeing quite a bit of dilution if they keep needing to issue shares to cover their short-term costs and any other costs that come up because they've already pretty much maxed out what they can borrow on. I think they have a bit of room in the revolver, but even then you're paying your 8% and they can't really fund that from operations. They have to pay their debt or pay by issuing shares or issue more debt. So you're really stuck in just a catch-22 at this point. And Carvana really is just watching a car crash in slow motion now. That's how I'll end that one. So what you're saying is you're all in on Carvana, right? You're oh yeah, I'm buying out of the yeah. money 300 <laughs> yeah. calls already. That's true, I thought my question, so. I guess so. This is vending machines for cars. So my question is like, why, like, why is there a benefit 
in selling cars this way relative to the conventional lot. Like one thing that I can think of is that if you're stacking the cars in a vending machine, you're saving space, but you could still mm -hmm. just stack the cars in a regular car lot. Arcade, yeah. Call, if you really need to save space and not call it a vending machine. So I'm just wondering how the vending machine model actually improves the experience. Well, got Ryan's attention. Mm -hmm. I just want to see <laughs> I think it. That, right? I think it's just a marketing point. I don't want to so. buy a car that way. I just yeah. want to see it. That's the difference. It's like, you know, sometimes when I buy a bag of chips from a vending machine, it'll kind of come out and it'll get stuck right between the <laughs> That's the main thing, the right? Row, yeah. And I have to shake the machine. What if you can't, if you can't get it out, well, do you not get it? For the car, right? <laughs> the next person gets two cars. Yeah. <laughs> that's the car vending machine and the car comes crashing down i would prefer if it was one of those hands that drop down and you can yeah. maybe get a car or maybe then, not get a car not, and then you drop the car it could be like a porsche 911 or a, yeah or or like a pinto a ford pinto from the 80s yeah. that, that, i like see, that now, that's actually a good idea yeah because that would like pay five hundred dollars maybe get a car maybe get nothing <laughs> brennan would yeah. do it I don't no, know. If but, I do. You know, I just think that this is just <laughs> no. an example to me. I mean, maybe there is an explanation for why this would improve the experience, but I just don't, I think it's, it sounds to me like a gimmick. It's, it sounds to me mm. like, you know, a solution that never had a problem, you know, the debt looks horrible too. Horrible. Like you, yeah. you, you slammed on that too, but it looks awful. And you know, it, it's only, going to get worse in terms of the payments on that in the near, in the near term. Yeah. I, I think we'd stay away from Carvana. Is it Carvana? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Is that, <laughs> I think that ends off our show this week. Correct. Nope. We're good. No, nope. I'm not. Nah, come on. No, <laughs> that, no, that no, I, no. that I did purposely. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Oh, <laughs> uh, relic. I'll go through it quick. Like, like relic from, uh, Beachcombers, like yeah, you every time. Nobody again, knows yeah. what the hell I'm talking about. No. Bring up Relic's picture from Beachcombers because he's a good-looking guy. I think Beachcombers was actually filmed in the Sunshine Coast or part of it. True. It? I think so. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was and it, beautiful area, beautiful man, Relic. Is it a beautiful company? That's how we segue. That's we'll the question, see. And Brennan is going to figure yeah. that out. I'm going to figure it out. So yes, uh, Relic Health Technologies, Inc., RHT on the TSX Venture, currently trading at a price of around $0.48 cents and has about a $96 million market cap. Uh, so Relic Health is a telemedicine provider that develops virtual care solutions for the healthcare market. It offers its iUgo Care platform, a software as a solution uh, service that uh, all allows patients to receive care in the home. So we have reviewed Relic a few times on the podcast now, once in 2018 as a dog when the stock was down 85% over the course of that year, as the company was putting up severe losses on some of the contracts that it had recently secured. And keep in mind, at that time, the business was completely contract driven. But beginning in 2021, uh, once the company switched from primarily a hardware business to a software as a service model, the company began winning contract after contract and has posted consistent revenue growth quarter over quarter, and even dipped into profitability in Q3 of 2023, which is the most recent quarter. Uh, right now, placing Relic with a trailing price to sales multiple of about 6.4 times, which is much better than the last uh, 15 times trailing multiple that it traded with about 12 months ago when I covered the stock last. So 
looking at the positive earnings the company has generated in the last quarter, uh, the income statement really is quite clean. And there is really nothing out of the ordinary, which is boosting profit other than some interest income. But if we look at each line item more granularly compared to last year, gross profit margin was up to about 67% from 50 or from 65%, while advertising and research and development expenses were down substantially. And this is the primary reason for breaking into some net profit here. Um, however, the balance sheet the balance sheet is into a slight net debt position when we include leases, uh, but their receivables are up there at about 12.4 million which is, you know, traditional with some of these healthcare companies um, having the larger receivables. Now, if we look at the company's share count over the years, clearly we can see that Relic has been funding primarily through share dilution, where it's now up to about 200 million shares outstanding. So given the large outstanding share balance, Relic would need to generate about 2 million in profit to generate one cent in earnings. And let's just say hypothetically, the company can get to that each quarter, the business would still trade at about nine times forward earnings. But again, considering they generated less than half a cent in the last quarter, and it's their first quarter of gap profitability, they still have a lot of proving to do. So moving on to some management comments and updates here, um, the company anticipates growth to accelerate into 2024 and does not expect to need to raise capital or take on debt to fund future operations. So hopefully for current shareholders, we see the dilution stop and for the business to fund through internally generated cash flow. Now, Q4 2023 results will be out by October 28th of 2023. And management said that at that time, they will begin providing uh, forward guidance. So we have that to look forward to. Now, they also deployed artificial intelligence and machine learning with uh, two clients. They essentially kind of did a beta test to identify at-risk patients. So that's what their software is doing. And they expect to potentially license to third parties in 2024. And as well, the company expanded to Mexico with its first client, and they also signed some large contracts in the year in the US. So to conclude, last time I concluded by saying that the company continues to lose money but that it does appear to be on a better track to potentially break into profitability. But of course, the internet lit me up as they always do because I wasn't positive enough on the stock. Now, this time, I have to double down on my statements. Relic is an interest, interesting business that has had tremendous growth and now has broken into profitability. But I think that it will be crucial to ensure the business can maintain this profitability and confirm that it does not have to raise capital to fund operations like management has said. And last but not least, see what the company is guiding toward for the fiscal year uh, 20 or the 2024 fiscal year uh, when they come out with their Q4 earnings in October. So it's interesting. They've broken into profitability. I think it would be really interesting to see if they actually don't have to, you know, dilute or take on more debt and, uh, you know, what they're guiding towards uh, for the 2024 fiscal year. And that's it. That's all. Yeah. One thing I find interesting is that, you know, the talk of expanding to Mexico with its first client when I don't know the nature of that expansion, if that's seen as like a geographic expansion, but I mean, there must be so much space to expand just within the U.S. health healthcare system. I mean, they're so small. It's so to them, so unsaturated. So why would they start with a geographic expansion at this point? 
you know, without being fully profitable and fully, you know, more, you know, capturing more market share in the US, just, just as a thought. Yep. Um, sometimes that can be seen as a red flag if companies are really quick to expand geographically before they've really gotten any serious foothold in their core market. Mm-hmm. Um, it's may, potentially a sign that, you know, they're just, they're having trouble selling in their core, core market, but that may not be the case. It's just something that I noted. Yep. Yeah, and um, when was the last, do you have it right there when the last time you reviewed it? I think it was, it was about 11 or 12 months ago. So it's almost a full year, I believe. So it's basically flat to slightly down over that period. Exactly. Yeah. And, and exactly. the question is, w- would you buy it here? And, you know, you're looking for them to prove out profitability. They've stepped exactly. into profitability, but, you know, th- just on a quarterly basis, um, it's good if we can forecast that going forward, but even at the rate they produced in their last quarter, it's not expressly cheap, no. e- uh, you know, even if they continue to earn. And uh, what was it, a, a quarter of a cent, did you say? Did they? It was, yeah, about a, a quarter of a cent, like, or I guess, yeah, quarter of a cent. It was like point zero zero four, or almost half a cent. I mean, is it half a cent? It was almost so, half you know, a cent. If they, if they had two, half. they'd be trading at 25 times earnings or something like yeah. that, in that in, even if you could forecast them doing that and extrapolate going forward. Now that would look better, but it's still not, you know, expressively cheap when, you know, there are companies that we can find out there that are trading at, you know, 15 times earnings and growing, you know, well beyond that, or they're trading at 10 times earnings and growing well beyond that have a better balance sheet and a higher history of profitability. So, I mean, for us, the bar is quite high to leap over. Yeah. Good to see what they did in their last quarter in terms of relevance. That's what we're talking about. But um, can they continue it going forward? That's what we'll continue to monitor. Yeah, exactly. The trajectory looks good, but again, it's, they still have some proving to do. And uh, I know yeah. that the internet's going to rip me apart on that. Uh, and there, and you know, there may be a scenario here. Time you talked about relic. Yes, yeah, they were. You know, you know there were some comments. Comments are just me for my troll accounts. <laughs> probably, yeah. probably just ripping you. There were some comments. No, I mean, or go on, Ryan, go on. Sorry, I would say that this company may, you know, funding through uh, equity releases. Uh, we've seen this story before. They may at some point have a rollback in terms of the shares uh, to, you know, have the share price boost uh, and to be able to have more meaningful EPS. It may be a benefit to this company to do that over the long term to get their uh, capital structure in order. And you may see that at some point, uh, they may have aspirations of going on to the TSX or, you know, going on to the NASDAQ. At some point, you'd likely have to see that because uh, even though the trajectory of growth is good to get meaningful per share cash flow EPS, they may have to roll back those shares at some point. And, uh, and, and you may see something like that. And it may actually be a benefit. Often you're seeing a rollback because of a terrible situation at a company for a business like this, you may see it and it may benefit the company over the long term. It may be some short term pain, but uh, for long term gain of uh, getting that uh, capital structure in order in, in a, and looking better so you can actually have that meaningful per share cash flow and per share earnings. All right. I think that'll close out our show for this week. Uh, Great to have everybody back and we'll have everybody back all through the fall again, but we're closing out the summer here. Keep your questions coming in for our Your Stock, Our Take segment. We'll endeavor endeavor to answer those on a weekly basis. Smash the subscribe button if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you're just listening to this on on iTunes or whatever the hell it is on Apple, if you're listening to it there, 
um, rate rate us and review us, and we will uh, we will we would love that, and we'll uh, continue to pump up the content on a weekly basis. Thank you very much, and I wish you as always profitable investing. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.